morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. We are in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we are going to be focusing our attention on verses 10 through 12 this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, a few notes from these uh, verses for us to understand before we come to them. First of all, in these verses, we'll run across the phrase, the Spirit of Christ. I think that it's important that we understand and have clear in our mind that the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. This is not a distinct or different spirit or the soul of Jesus. Rather, when it says the Spirit of Christ, it is talking about the Spirit that Jesus sent from heaven once He ascended up to the right hand of God. And so throughout the sermon, you'll hear me refer to the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Christ interchangeably because the Holy Spirit is so united to the Lord Himself that it might even be called the Spirit of Christ. The second note from our text before we begin this morning is the last phrase you'll see there at the end of verse 12, which says, Things into which angels long to look. Now, angels are sinless spiritual beings. And as this text tells us, they are captivated by how the story of redemption is unfolding. They have a holy curiosity to watch and to delight in how the gospel is reaching greater and greater realization in the life of God's people. And so should we not also desire, even as the angels themselves do, to look in to see how the Lord is bringing salvation to His people. Let us with such longing go now to God's holy word. First Peter, chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which 
angels long to look. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us go to him in prayer. Father God, we come to you now at this time and we call out to you. We call out to you asking that you would open our eyes to see and understand your word. Christ, we call out to you. For it is through your victory and your ascension up into heaven that we now possess the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we call out to you. For you are the one who first inspired these words of Scripture. And you are the one who opens our eyes to see their glories. We pray that the word would be preached and received this day with power. That salvation might come to our lives. And we pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. The easiest way to tell when someone is lying is when their story changes. Right? When you lie, you have to fabricate a false reality. And that means that you have to remember what you said and work to make all the details of your story fit together. When you tell the truth, you're just remembering events that can be verified. But when you lie, you are weaving together a new reality that often has to be revised and revisited as you continue to tell your story. So you could imagine a father saying, Why did you break curfew, son? Oh, uh, I had a, a flat tire and had to change it. Oh, that's strange. I didn't see the spare tire on the car this morning. Oh, well, I meant to say that I thought I had a flat tire. And so I went and uh, pulled over and put some air in the tire. Oh, where did you pull over? The Shell station. Well, that's not on the way home. Oh, I, 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 did I say Shell? I meant Exxon station. It took you two hours to put air in the tire? Well, I didn't have any quarters. So before I stopped there, I had to go to Walmart. Right? The basic principle is that as the story changes, our confidence in the story being told declines. In our passage for this morning, Peter is seeking to bolster our confidence in the truth of the gospel message. He is writing to those who have placed their faith in the truth of the gospel. They have staked their current well-being and their eternal destiny on the truthfulness of the message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became man. That He lived a perfect, sinless life. That He offered Himself upon the cross. And that by His blood, He purchased His church by atoning for their sins. That He went into the grave and on the third day, He rose to new life, ushering in the glories of the new creation. And that when He returns, He will bring an eternal inheritance. The glories of the new heaven and the new earth. It is quite a story. And if we Christians are wrong about this, then we have a problem. For as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hoped in this life only, 
We are of all people most to be pitied. To understate the situation, a lot is riding on the truth of the gospel. So, is this the same message that has been spoken from the beginning, or has the story changed? Is the God of Israel the same God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do the Scriptures of the Old Testament tell the same story as those of the New Testament, or has the story changed? Has God revised His plan of salvation? Or can we have confidence that the message has remained the same throughout time? What we'll see in our text is that every Christian can have confidence in the truth of the gospel message because it has been inspired, illuminated, and empowered by the same Holy Spirit. That is, from Genesis to Revelation, the message of the Gospel has been one consistent message delivered, interpreted, and applied by the Holy Spirit of God. The message has been consistent. And we who have believed can have great confidence that the God of truth will never change His story. Now, the first reason that we can have confidence in the truth of the gospel is because the gospel is a Holy Spirit inspired message. Look at verses 10 through 11. There we read, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. Now, a few things that we need to understand. First, here Peter is explaining the relationship between the message of the prophets of God prior to the coming of Christ and the current message of the Gospel. Christ crucified and coming again. Concerning this salvation, the salvation that has been won for us by Christ. The salvation that was, as Peter said, won by the sufferings and the subsequent glories of Christ. This salvation message of the cross, then the crown, is not something new. But it is the same message of salvation that was spoken of by the prophets of old. It's very important to understand this because there are those outside of and even inside of the church who would seek to divide God's Word in such a way that says the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. That His way of salvation and grace was essentially different and the message of Christ crucified and risen is foreign to the religion of Israel. But Peter is saying the exact opposite of that. He is saying that the prophets prophesied about the sufferings and the subsequent glories of Christ. It's the same gospel message throughout. Next, it's important to understand that when the New Testament authors speak of the prophets, they are not just speaking of the books that we refer to as prophecy, like Isaiah and Jeremiah. They're referring to the whole Old Testament. They are speaking of the books of Moses, the Psalms, the historical books, along with the books of prophecy. 
They all prophesied according to the same power and according to the same message. So when the resurrected Christ spoke to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we read, And He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Right? They were confused. They didn't understand what was going on. Jesus died. The Messiah suffered. What is going on? And Jesus says, you don't believe what the prophets have said. He goes on to explain, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. The gospel pattern of a Messiah who suffers and then enters into glory is the message of the whole Bible, the Lord Jesus said. But how could this be the case? How could several dozen men over a period of more than 1,500 years have a consistent message of salvation? Well, again, because the message was given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse 11 explains that the message they spoke was a message that the Spirit of Christ was indicating and predicting in them. That is, the message they spoke was not according to their own power of prediction or their own imagination of how God might work salvation. But rather, it was the Holy Spirit of God who was leading and guiding the prophets of old so that when they spoke and wrote, it was the very Word of God Himself. In Second Peter, Peter writes and elaborates on this point. says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, the reason that the Scriptures speak with a unified voice and a unified Gospel message is because all Scripture has come from one Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. He has worked in the prophets, He has worked in the apostles in such a way that the words we have in our Bibles today are the very words that God desired His people to have. To be inspired means that the words of the Bible are the very words of God Himself. How can we have confidence that the Gospel message is true? We can have confidence because the one unified message of the Bible has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. The prophets weren't just making this stuff up as they went along. Rather, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is truth. It does not change. And we can stake our present and our future life upon it. But if this is true, if the prophets were speaking with a unified voice of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then why didn't God's people expect Jesus as the Messiah to suffer prior to His glory? Why did it come as such a surprise? Why was the cross a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles? And why does the world continue to reject the gospel if the truth of it is so clearly proclaimed by God in His Word? 
Well, I want us again to look at verses 10 through 11. And I want you to look at the way that the prophets themselves interact with their prophecies. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. There's an interesting dynamic going on here. Did you catch that? Peter is saying that the Spirit of Christ, that is the Holy Spirit, inspired the words of prophecy. But then the prophets themselves returned to those words and carefully inquired into them as to when and who would fulfill these prophecies. They spoke to their own generation. They wrote with understanding. Nevertheless, the Holy Spirit spoke beyond their current context and their words had a deeper fulfillment in the future work of Christ. He continues in verse 12. It was revealed to them, right, as they were carefully inquiring into the inspired words of prophecy, when they were searching diligently, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. You see, the prophets desired to understand how the Lord would accomplish the salvation that He had promised. And so they searched the Word of God. This is key. As they carefully inquired into what the Holy Spirit had inspired, they then were given the knowledge of how the Holy Spirit would accomplish this salvation in future generations. Why were so many rejecting the message of Christ when His sufferings and subsequent glories had already been inspired in God's Word? Because they had not received the illumination of the Holy Spirit to see what the inspired Word of God was teaching. It was there before them, but they did not understand. You see, the illumination of the Holy Spirit means that He sheds light on, He illuminates biblical truth that would otherwise remain hidden. So imagine you are in a museum with beautiful pieces of art. Monet's water lilies, Degas' ballerinas, Da Vinci, Michelangelo, Rembrandt. They are all there to behold, but there is one problem. The lights are turned off. The room is filled with beauty, but you can't see it until somebody turns the light on. Now, once the light is on, you can see the beauty, but until then, you are blind. And the Word of God can be likened to this room. The truth of the Gospel is present. The beauty of the Gospel is there. But until the Holy Spirit turns the light on, we can't see what is clearly before us. And you might know all the facts of the Gospel. You might have verse after verse after verse memorized. You might have outlines of books in your head. But without the illumination of the Holy Spirit within you, you will know nothing of Christ and Him crucified. You will know nothing of salvation. You will just be stumbling around in the dark. As the text says, we need the Spirit of Christ to reveal to us what the Scriptures are saying about Christ. So how can you know that the Gospel message is true? 
Well, first you have to go into the room. That is, you need to search the Scriptures. Some of you, I'm sure, had a New Year's resolution. I'm going to read through the Bible. And studies let me know that most of you have already failed or given up at that. So rededicate. Get back into the room. Get back into the Scriptures. If the prophets searched and carefully inquired, how much more do you and I need to? And second, you need the light of the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what is there. You need to have the humility to understand that spiritual truth must be spiritually understood. Right? You have a bulletin before you. You have that. Open that up right before the, uh, right before the sermon. Right? There's something in there. Every week it's in there. The prayer for illumination. You see, it's not there just so that you have one more thing to mark off to check where you are in the service. What are we doing? We are praying. We are going before God and we are saying we need the Holy Spirit to turn the lights on. Or we won't understand what is being preached. The same Spirit that first inspired the message of the Gospel must presently open our blind eyes to see the masterpiece of the Gospel. So go to all of God's Word. Go to the Old Testament. Go to the New Testament. Searching diligently for the truth of the Gospel. And by His grace, the Spirit of Christ will illuminate your mind to the truth of Christ's sufferings and His subsequent glory. And the inspired message of the Gospel will shine its truth into your heart. You see, we can have confidence that the Gospel message is true because it's the unified message of God's Word inspired and illuminated by the Holy Spirit. And the third reason that we can know that the Gospel message is true is because the Gospel is a Holy Spirit-empowered message. Look at verse 12. Peter says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Right? That that the salvation would be accomplished in the future. As they inquired, as they looked into God's Word, the Spirit opened their eyes. It revealed to them that this was going to happen in the future. It has happened to us now. In these things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. You see, the message that the Holy Spirit inspired so that it would be written down, the message that the Holy Spirit illuminates so that we can understand it, is the message that the Holy Spirit empowers. The only reason that anyone can believe the word of the gospel is the work of the Holy Spirit. No amount of human wisdom is enough to convince somebody to believe the Word of God. And this is why Paul explains that when he preached the Gospel to the people of Corinth, he decided to know nothing among you, Paul says, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. How might you know that the message of the Gospel is true? 
because it has been accompanied by power. The preaching of the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation, the book of Romans tells us. Throughout the millennia, the simple message of the Gospel has been accompanied by power. Power to break the chains of sin and of death. The power to destroy strongholds of spiritual darkness and fear and anxiety and despair. The Word of God is the power to change the human heart, to make dry bones come alive. The power to cause God's people to obey His Word, to pick up their cross daily, to suffer in the way of the Gospel with a sure and certain hope that they will receive an eternal inheritance. How do we know that the gospel is true? Because it has changed hearts. It has changed homes. It's changed cities and nations. And because the power of the gospel has changed the world. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And when Christ ascended up into heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit upon His church. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter preached the gospel in power on the day of Pentecost. And it has been going forward in power ever since. How do you know that the gospel is true? Because it has come in power in your own life. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon you. And if you have believed, then you have the Spirit. And the Spirit continues its work of witnessing the truth of the gospel into your life. But if you don't believe, if you have no power, if the gospel message just falls dead at your feet, then call out to God. Call out to God. Ask Him. Implore Him that the Holy Spirit might bring life and power into your life. If you doubt, if you struggle with doubt, Go to the Lord and call out to Him asking that He would again revive and refresh your faith by the power of the Spirit. As the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, says, Our assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority of the Scriptures is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. How do you know that a sunset is beautiful? Because you've seen it. How do you know that ice is cold? Because you've felt it. How do you know that the gospel is true? Because the work of the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to see the truth of the gospel in His Word and its power of salvation has been brought into your life. You have tasted and you have seen that the Lord is good. Now, why has Peter written verses 10-12 through 12 about confidence in the message of the gospel at this point? What question is he seeking to answer for the church? Well, as you remember from last week, the context of these verses is a suffering church. A church that has, as verse 6 says, been grieved by various trials. And so it's natural for them, as much as it is natural for us when we encounter trials, to ask or to think, you know, maybe we've gotten this wrong. Following Christ is hard. 
Maybe we have followed a false path, a false message. But Peter is explaining to them and to us this day that the path of life begins with hardship but ends in glory. He is explaining that the cross comes before the crown. He is explaining that the consistent message of God's Word is that the path to new life follows a pattern. Suffering followed by glory. And if we desire to live with Christ, then we must die with Christ. And that means that we have to have faith in the message. Faith in the Gospel. That Christ has opened the way to glory. And this dynamic, this grace, this path is of such glory that the end of verse 12 says that it is a salvation into which the angels themselves long to look. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us call out to the Holy Spirit that the preaching of His Word might be accompanied by power. Father God, we come to You now and we ask, Lord, that these words that were inspired by Your Spirit long ago, that we called out to You earlier that You might illuminate in our minds, might now be accompanied by power. Power to live according to Your Word. Power to continue to be pilgrims in this world brought safely into the kingdom that is to come. And we pray it all in Christ's holy name. Amen.